0: Paul the Apostle, uh, he once wrote this. He wrote that the love of money thats what? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Well, if ever there was a verse, if ever there was a phrase that kind of stands in opposition to the place where we live, Surely it is that phrase we've got there. If, as we said, what was that, a couple of weeks ago, if London is the capital city of loneliness, then surely it is also the epicenter of greed. Is it not? Consider it. Our uh, skyline is dominated by the Shard, uh, a Qatari-owned, oil-funded monument to wealth. And our housing market destroyed by overseas billionaires. Even the place around here where we gather to worship tonight, the financial center, a place that is renowned for its lack of scruples when it comes to making a quick buck. London is the epicenter, the epicenter of greed. Well, in the words of uh, Solomon, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Because as our city struggles with wealth, so did Israel eh, in the time of King Solomon. And friends, as he speaks to the people of Israel here in these verses, let me say to you, there is not just a word in this for the oligarchs and the hedge fund managers of London. No, as Solomon speaks here, there is a message, I believe, friend, for you there 's a message for me for every one of us in here about finance a message uh, about money. there are lessons here tonight about greed. so I would ask you to please turn with me to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter five if you 're using the church bible it 's page five hundred and uh, no it 's not it 's page six hundred and seventy one uh, Ecclesiastes 5 from verse 8 before let's do something uh, slightly uh, unusual before we launch into this portion of scripture can i see just a word or two about the structure it, 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 not just because it's an interesting structure to this portion of scripture but i think it is helpful for us to understand what god is saying to us if we consider how this is structured now, I'll put it like this, if we're reading, if you are reading a novel at home, where does the climax of that novel, the apex, the high point of the novel, where does it always come? You're reading a chapter, you're reading a book, what are you waiting for? Where does the, where is the climax come? It comes at the end of the poop, doesn't it? That's the high. That's yeah, obvious. You know, that's the main point. The apex comes at the the end. Well, what we've got to appreciate is that new, or, or rather, Near Eastern writing, and, and, and scripture in particular, is very often different to that. What do I mean? Let's take the Channel Tunnel as an example. Maybe you can remember. hope I've got this right. Maybe you can remember how the Channel Tunnel was built. You started off with two big drilling machines, didn't you? One in England, I presume, in Folkestone perhaps. The other drilling machine starting in Cackel, I think, in France. What happens? These two drilling machines, they drill and they're moving together slowly but surely and eventually they meet in the middle. That's how scripture very often works. Do you see it? That actually, often in Scripture, we start at either side of a portion of God's Word. That what we do is we work inwards, and eventually, what do we find in the middle? We find the apex. We find in the middle the climax. Not at the end of a portion of Scripture, but smack bang in the middle. Now, uh, maybe that's interesting, but is that all it is? no why am i telling you that tonight because that's how this particular portion of scripture works and i know it's your sunday night but humor me humor me as as i just point it out to you would you would you look at this with me how does it begin look at verse 10 of chapter 5 what's it about verse 10 it's about somebody who's not satisfied right isn't it that's what it says somebody's not satisfied so that's the beginning right what about the very end go to the end to verse 7 of chapter 6 turn over verse 7 chapter 6 the end what's that about it's about it's about these, the same thing isn't it it's about somebody who's not satisfied so you've got do you see it you've got the external brackets the external sections and they sort of correspond they work together well I'll tell you what let's drill in a little bit more <laughs> Look at verse 13 of chapter 5. What does Solomon see? Verse 13, he sees a grievous evil. And then this is the last one that I'll I'll get you to look at. Look at the end of verse 2 of chapter 6. What have you got? Verse 2, chapter 6. You've got another grievous evil. You've got another matching pair. So can you see what's happening? There's two corresponding pairs, then another corresponding pair. And as we work towards the middle, what do you think's going to happen? What do you think you're going to get in the middle? You see it? God is going to provide one core, one central truth. Smack bang in the middle of this chapter. The climax ain't at the end. The apex ain't at the end. It's smack bang in the center of this portion of Scripture. You with me? You got it? We at least know how the section of Scripture works. Now what we've got to work out is what it's about. Okay, so first heading here is this. We see here that greed, it halts our satisfaction in life. So greed halts, it stops our satisfaction in our lives. So what? Do we mean by that? Okay, let's let's get into this. We've seen that the external sections they deal with a lack of satisfaction, okay? But let's be more exact than that, because what's clear is that it's a satisfaction or a lack of satisfaction with cash, a lack of satisfaction with money that Solomon is talking about. In verse 10, he says that. That's a wonderful verse, verse 10, isn't it? Solomon says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Isn't that a great verse? You see his point? There's not contentment. Money never ever provides you or me with contentment. But tonight, when I say that to you, aren't you sort of scratching your head thinking, well, in some ways we think it should provide contentment. Isn't that there's something in us, isn't there? There's something a part of our nature that thinks, well, yeah, I know that people say that money doesn't provide satisfaction, but you know, we, we still go after, it. we still think we're going to hit that magic number in our savings account, don't we? And if we can hit that number, we're going to be happy, things are going to be fine, we're going to be content. And yet, God tells us here, it's not like that. Why does money? not provide us satisfaction Solomon's going to tell us a couple of things first one is this money doesn't satisfy because as your income increases so do your expenditures Um, a close friend of mine uh, phoned me uh, a couple of weeks we hadn't spoken in quite a while and so we we chatted for ages on the phone and uh, It's funny, my friend uh, took this opportunity to moan (laughs) to me on the phone and to moan about his financial predicament at the time. Um, We spent an awful lot of time together as students. And if you've been a student in the past, you know what's true of most students. Students are skint, aren't they? Students don't have a lot of money. And uh, my friend was on the phone to me saying... nothing's changed he's actually managed to land himself a really good job and he's got a wage packet and everything but he's saying to me i don't know where it goes but it goes and he's left with very little exposable income at the end of the day now you see that that is what solomon is saying to us here in verse 11 see why does why does he say that rich people are never happy he says in verse 11 as your money increases or your goods increase so what does he say so do those who consume them so you see the message the richer people get the more outgoings they have and i'm pretty sure you know that that's true do you not what what do the wealthy get get more money of course what else comes to people who are wealthy well higher taxes come to those who are who are wealthy isn't that true and uh, more maybe demands from family, from their children. If they've got money, the children want the money. Isn't that right? And and maybe also comes from themselves. Because don't their own tastes increase? I've got loads of money. I'm going to have a more expensive car to pay off and a bigger house to pay off. You see it as the income increases, so do the expenditure. And what does that mean for people? What does it mean? It means, well, if this is the problem, I need more money and I need more money and I need more money and it breeds discontent, you see? But there's a second reason that Solomon gives here. Money doesn't satisfy because what else does wealth bring? Solomon says it brings worry the elders of the church in here had a kirk session on thursday evening and if you know anything about me you'll know that i like to have a short as possible kirk session or deacons court meeting quicker it can go the better but it wasn't like this on thursday night through no fault of anyone at all the kirk session went on a wee bit and i didn't get home till I don't well after 10 o'clock. And the worst thing about this, of course, was that I had not had my tea, okay? So there's me sitting down for my evening meal at 10 to 11 at night. Now, you, you bear with me. You know what it's like, don't you? If you do that, if you eat very late at night, what happens? Three o'clock in the morning comes, you know, four o'clock in the morning comes and you're staring at the ceiling, unable to sleep. Isn't that, I'm sure, your experience too? Well, again... that is what Solomon is saying here. Because in verse 12, if you look at it, you'll notice he draws a contrast between different types of sleep. Now, on one hand, he speaks of this poor laborer. So we're talking about a guy who's maybe not even hitting minimum wage. Okay? And, And he works hard. Now, how does he sleep? Do you notice it? Works hard. He goes to bed. And he sleeps like a baby. It's a beautiful night's sleep. But what's the contrast? Who's the other guy? Do you see? You've got a rich man. And what is said of him? Here is another memorable expression from Solomon, isn't it? The rich man. He goes to bed at night. He tries to sleep. What what does Solomon say? He says, this man's wealth, his wealth, listen, is that great again? His wealth permits him no sleep. I wonder, do you see the point that Solomon is making there? That for the rich comes anxiety. And you know in your own personal experience... How difficult it is to get rest when you're anxious. And so you see the picture that Solomon's giving us here. This is a rich man who is tossing and turning, staring up at the ceiling all the night through. Why? Because he's worried about his personal wealth. Like what is... What is Brexit going to mean to, to, to my pension pot? What is Donald Trump's presidency going to mean for world markets? What's the, is this pound, is it going to continue to devalue like this? You see, he's, he's stressing out. He he cannot sleep. Friends, do you, do you see the message from both of these points here? Greed is a, is a terrible thing. When we're greedy, what happens? unhappiness happens we become dissatisfied with life let me bring this into the room and let me please bring this to your door and to do that i would ask that you think about this Marquetta and myself were talking earlier on Marquetta wasn't sure this morning, if there would be a Christmas message in the, the congregation today, and uh, she arrived and the message was on hell, which perhaps was not all that Christmassy. But would you consider for a moment how timely this message is here? I mean, consider what happened last week. Do you remember? The Western world last week went mad for Black Friday. And you see, from that date, all the way through to Christmas and beyond Christmas, isn't it fair to say that what we are in just now is this season of greed? Isn't it? And everywhere we go, everywhere we walk, in the city, every shop we pass, just all of this temptation for materialism. Isn't that right? You can't put on your TV. You can't switch on your computer for sidebars and adverts and Facebook. All of this temptation. Say that you, you need more. You need more. You don't just need to buy presents for other people. Come on, you need to see it. This is the season of greed, the season of temptation for us. Friends, can I remind you what your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, said to his people in Luke chapter 12? He said to us, be on your guard against all kinds of greed isn't, isn't that a message for, for us as a church going into Christmas be on your guard against all sorts of greed friends we need to take we need to take hold of that don't we that through concerted prayer that we watch the materialism of our hearts that we watch our attitude to finance at this time of year why what does God say here? What is the message here? Greed will never, ever, ever satisfy your soul. Second thing that we see here, a second heading, is that greed halts not just satisfaction, but it halts enjoyment of life. Greed stops or it halts eh, enjoyment. In life. Let's return to the idea of the channel tunnel. Channel tunnel drilling machines. So we started at either end of this section, or either end of the channel tunnel. And we drilled in. We've seen two sections with man message let's drill in a little bit what happens we see another two sections of this portion of scripture that are linked now in these two sections what solomon does is he shows you i was going to say he shows you a couple of examples do you know actually what solomon does here the next two sections he shows you two men he shows you two men each of these men have a lesson to share so who Are these men okay? Who are these these men? (laughs) The first man the first man the first man could be a Scotsman. If you didn't know it before now, let me tell you that Scotsmen have a reputation for being rather miserly with their cash. Scotsmen have a reputation for being tight with their money. Actually, In particular, Rob McLeod is to be watched because Aberdonians in particular uh, have a a reputation for their their meanness. Uh, Well, this man here, this man that Solomon shows us, he could be a Scotsman. Because do you notice what we're told in verse 13? This is a man who hoards his wealth. Now, Now, let me just pause and make sure that we don't have this wrong. So the man in question is not a man who is merely careful with his cash. This is a man who goes beyond that. This is a man who is mean. This is a man who is miserly. And I ask you, do you see what what happens and unfolds in the guy's life? Solomon tells us that this mean man, this Scotsman, if you like, he loses it all. Some financial misfortune or other hits his life, the guy dies, he leaves absolutely nothing. But do you know what I find really interesting here? Is how Solomon describes his life. Look what he says about him in verse 17. What a, what a thing to say. It says that this man's days were dark. See, do you see what he's saying? Like such was his meanness. Such was his horrible attitude to cash that a sort of gloom, you know, a dark cloud it encompassed the entirety of his life. So that's our first man, our Scotsman. But there's another man here as well. Now, in Near Eastern writing of time, and uh Yeah, in Near Eastern writing at the time, there were three things that all people everywhere in the Near East, three things that everyone wanted to attain and uh, to have. Three things. There were these. Everyone wanted prosperity. All right, that's fairly self-explanatory. Everybody at the time, they wanted some sort of wealth. Prosperity, that's the first thing. Second thing everybody wanted was longevity. Okay, again, fairly self-explanatory. Everybody wanted to live a long and healthy existence. Third thing was that people wanted progeny. They wanted offspring. They wanted a family. You got it? Prosperity, longevity, a family. Three things that they wanted. Do you notice what we're told about this second guy? If you look to chapter 6 verse 3, what, what's this guy's situation? We're told, <laughs> We're told that he has a hundred children. I I don't know where to begin with that. Struggling with three. This guy had a hundred children. We're told that he lived a long life. On top of that, we're also told that this guy was prosperous. You see the idea? This is a guy who had it all. You know, from a Near Eastern point of view, you look at this guy, this guy's got everything. This guy's got absolutely everything you could ever want. And yet, what are we told about him? What is the problem? We see that just like the first man, this guy too is unhappy. This guy is not enjoying his life. This guy too is discontent. And I want you to note the shocking way that Solomon speaks about the man's discontent. And it is shocking, isn't it? He says that a stillborn child would be better off than this man. A stillborn child. Now you see what he's saying? That though the child, yes, that he too is in darkness, at least the stillborn child is going to be at rest. Whereas this man, in his discontent, despite all of his wealth, despite everything that he has, he just continues and continues and continues in his gloom. Friends, I'm asking you, do you see the point? Do you see the point from both of these men here? It is the same. Solomon is speaking against present discontent. He's saying that unhappiness with the here and now, a discontent with the here and now, what does he say? What connects these two? That that present unhappiness is a grievous evil before God. So let me bring this again to your door. I want to ask you this question. If we were to speak to the people in your life, and if we were to ask them about you, what would they say about you? Would they say of you, well, that and yeah, that, that, that person, that you are always unhappy? Would people say that, yeah, that person is always moaning about their situation, always moaning about their material predicament? Would they say that of you? Like what about the first man that we're dealing with here? Does that sound actually very familiar to you? This idea of the Scotsman here? Like are you a person who is so cautious, so careful with their cash that you are straying way beyond prudence and you're straying into greed? Is that you? Or is it the second person? Does that sound a a bit more familiar to you? That that you, like he, are so concerned for what you do not have materially that you, like him, are not able to enjoy what God has given you today? Is that it? We mustn't be like this. We mustn't be like this. And you see why Solomon refers to that discontent as darkness, do you not? Friend, if we as Christians are ruled by greed, if we're ruled by this miserliness, what is it? Why is it darkness? What is that? Do you see it is a type of death? And then our third and our last heading. So we've seen greed halts satisfaction. It halts enjoyment. Third and last, much more simply, I just want us to consider the choice that we face. Now, we've had two lessons from Solomon. Both are about finance. Both are stated negatively. There's a third lesson that we've got, which is much more positively. I think I can sum it up like this. Solomon says here that the people of God are to enjoy their life. Now, this is something that we've come across before in Ecclesiastes, isn't it? And truth be told... This is something that we have struggled with as a congregation. Something that we've had to talk about after services and so forth. The idea that as Christians, that we are to embrace and enjoy life. Sounds almost odd, doesn't it? It sounds almost hedonistic to our ear, isn't it? But that's what Solomon says. What does it, how are we supposed to enjoy our, our, our lives? Let me... Put it to you by way of an illustration, if you would allow that, friend. One of my pet hates is ungrateful children. Ungrateful children are one of my pet hates. But you know that the scenario, don't you? You, you go around a friend's house or your own house and you hand your children at dinner time their evening meal and what do the kids do? They moan. And they complain about the food. I don't want this. and I don't like this. Uh, Dad, I want something different. You get or, Dad, that's not enough. I want more and I want more. And I, I want rather. They complain, you know. Rather than just being thankful to their mother or father. Let me say this to you. That there is the key to understanding what Solomon is saying about the enjoyment of our lives. See, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, in effect, Solomon is saying that our lives, our circumstances, your life, your circumstance, what is it? It is the portion that the Lord God has given to you. The portion before you. What he's dealing with here in Ecclesiastes 5 is our necessary response to that so how do we respond to what god has given us and set before us in our life how do we do we respond like the kids in the illustration Do you see it like do we moan, i don't like these circumstances i don't like what you've given me or do we always say lord this is not enough for me i want more lord is that how we respond no how should we respond we should respond with absolute gratitude, thankfulness to God. But but more than that, we should seek to enjoy just what it is that God has given to us by grace. Do you see that? That our life, your circumstances, they are our portion, and they are a portion from God, and they are a portion to enjoy as much as we can. And then do you know what happens? Up ahead, the rocks begin to fall away. And up ahead, we see a little bit of light. And we hear a French voice. And our two drilling machines, they at last come together. Because in verse 20, smack bang in the middle here, we are shown at last the climax to this section. And what is that? Well, there Solomon speaks of the great benefit Of seeking to enjoy the portion that we have. You see what it is? Friends, should we seek to enjoy our present circumstances, what happens? If we seek to enjoy what God has given us, the hardships and the trials of life, they slowly but surely, they begin to fade out of sight when we view even the small things of our life as gifts by grace, what happens? What do we receive from Almighty God? We receive contentment. And I guess all of this tonight comes down to, it comes down to choice An obvious choice. Do you know, it's the same choice that Jesus gave in in Matthew chapter 6. You know the verses I'm going to, but listen to them. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Isn't he? He says, either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot love both God and money. That's the choice tonight. That's the choice that God's word brings to your door this evening. You, friend, can either serve your greed or you can serve your God. And you cannot do both things. You can either tonight choose to follow after money and success and wealth and all of the discontent and darkness it brings. Or you can follow after the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Which is it going to be? Which is it going to be? Let me tell you this. If you as a Christian tonight, if you decide to say no to greed, do you know what's going to happen? I am sure... That that is going to be noticed. Isn't that right? In a city like ours, in a place like this, this epicenter of greed isn't financial contentment. Is it going to scream out loud? People will notice. And then what will we be able to do? We will be able to point, direct those people to where true eternal satisfaction is found. And where is that? In our savior? And a savior from sin in the one person who has endured darkness, but what has happened? He is risen in the light of resurrection life. We can point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, don't you agree that we should repent of our materialism? We should repent of our greed and we should Seek to enjoy the portion that God has given to us, each and every one of us, by his amazing grace. Let's pray.